Well, it's a topical podcast from Blakemere this week because it's the big news of foot and mice, which is a real diner. But I'm Heather Gorange and I'm from Wiggly Wigglers and I'm joined today by... Richard from Wiggly Wigglers. And... Farmer Phil. That was slick, wasn't it? And also, who have we got here? Jam. Asleep. Well, until you just knocked her on the head. <laughs> <laughs> not, not actually knocked her on the head, obviously. <laughs> that would mean that she was dead. So, <laughs> passed her on the head. Definitely not dead. Good dog. This week we've got Monty with his pig cast. Excellent. They're going quite well, aren't they, well, pig cast? Pig cast, yeah. yeah. Does he enjoy doing them, Monty? Well, who knows? <laughs> what he really wants to do is play rock guitar as the introduction instead yeah. of... he learns how to play the guitar, I think, before we get to that stage. Definitely, but he has had it signed this week by Andy Fairweather Lowe. Right, there you are. You're not interested? No idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> right then. Gets better and better. <laughs> that was slick, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> before we go to Foot and Mouse Rich, which is completely depressing, and we all go, oh... Well, what was that birdie that Anne and I found in the Wiggly shop? There was a lovely little yellow willow warbler. No, a little willow warbler. And, and it was eating all the flies because uh, it was kind of dancing around on the beams where Anne and Karen make their bouquets and where the Wiggly shop is. And it's so superb, really. <laughs> so in a purpose, in a big way. Because we've been inundated with flies, haven't we, this year? Oh, God. Horrible little suckers. There's lots of squatting going on. In Have fact, you got them in your house? There seem to be flat flies on every single wall and yeah. ceiling and cupboard, as far as I can see. Yeah. Well, I suppose um, after the bad weather, they're sort of making up for lost time, aren't yeah, they? They're in the cold and wet that they weren't doing anything, and now they've gone at it big style. Does a house fly do any good at all? Because the thing is, I hate them, yeah. and I want them dead. Look, I suppose they do, because, you know, so far as corpses and things are concerned, you know, they lay their eggs on there, and the maggots feast and break them down, get rid of them, get all the... What's good about that? Well, it's, it's nature's way of cleaning up <laughs> dead things, isn't it? <laughs> so so they, they serve a purpose, I guess, but, they, well, they, but of course they feed willow warblers as well. I was going to so, say uh, they're an important food source for, I mean, the swallows and martins and, I suppose, swifts as well that eat flies that they catch on the wing, yeah. that they would be a prime food source, would they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, how can yeah. they be? Because they're all in my house. Yeah, there's not so many in this room, though, are there? This is it's the, a this kitchen is the one with three past, windows. But, uh, yeah. I think it's because it's really warm in there. Right. They just get in there. Yeah, they do seem to like kitchens. Why don't you ever see a baby fly? Because they pupate, don't they? So baby flies are maggots. And, but do they uh, come they, out like ready grown? Into casters or what have you, or, uh, and then they uh, bingo. Yeah, they uh, fully grown. Morph into a fly, fully grown. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Was that a really daft question then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> I tell you. I tell you. I thought you looked at me as if I was in fact a completely. I, I, I went. Uh, I went fishing last night. To, um, on There's the, a change. On the seven. Yeah, there's a change. I went, and I've been eaten by. Mosquitoes, Mike. You see my, where my wrist is all swollen up, and yes. I've got bites all over the place. And I'm trying not to scratch them because it looks as though I've got gripping zits or something like that. If I scratch these mosquito bites, but never have I seen mosquitoes like that on a river, on an English river. And it's because where I went, it was between Tewkesbury and Upton, where all that major flooding was. So all that still water, all those little 
bodies of, of stagnant water have supported a whole wealth of hideous little mosquitoes. In fact, that flooding seems to have caused all sorts of problems that people haven't thought of. Yeah, yeah. What's the cricket pitch? It's oh, just it slime. Dis- and the smell, apparently, is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah stinks. Yeah. It's just the sort of that rotting... I mean, I, I tell you what it made me think of. You hear of the smell of some of these swamps. They say it absolutely stinks in some of them. Yeah. And it's this sort of permanently rotting vegetation. And I'd imagine this is the same thing. That effectively, yeah. you've got the crops or grass all rotting, plus this smelly, slimy mud. You know yeah. what would fix that, don't you? Well, it, Bakashi yeah. could do. But anyway, uh, what I was going to go to was I read Mr Pride, uh, who had the foot and mouth last week, and he thinks it's because of the flooding, and that's caused storage and stuff to go onto his fields, and that's where he thinks the cattle have picked up foot and mouth from that lab. So I think we should delve in to foot and mouth. It is interesting. I I gather that... If I actually trusted the government scientists, they have ruled out that. They think it's a human movement from the lab to the land. But the trouble is that as a farmer, I have a deep mistrust. The people who are doing the testing are actually the people defending their own organisation. So do I believe them? I don't know. There's an interesting thought going round that if somebody is found to be negligent, then presumably there might be recompense for those around the country whose businesses and livelihoods have been badly affected and cost them you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds, would be able to sue them. But then the point was made to me that actually we will never be given proof of what has actually happened because it, it would require ultimate proof for that to go ahead, so they'll never give us ultimate proof. They'll say that the balance of probability is that this is what has happened. But what a devastation for the people, particularly down around Purbright. I mean, my heart goes out to those farmers. I think there's another farm being slaughtered out this morning. And I just think it's bad enough when something as devastating as that happens because of the normal twos and throws within the industry. And since 2001, those normal twos and throws have been radically restricted and altered to make sure it doesn't happen again. But to have it happen because the people who are supposed to be protecting you haven't. I just think that that is absolutely devastating. And what really annoys me is that they've been saying that these facilities are not just Purbright, that a lot of the government research facilities are underfunded and being pressurised for money because the government say that agriculture has no priority and that food has no priority, so we're not funding the labs and research facilities correctly. And so that Purbright has been described in varying forms in the press, shabby, underfunded, staff redundancies, low staff morale. I find it hardly surprising that there's been a biosecurity leak. What I do find depressing is that as an industry, I see vast sums of money being spent on verifying subsidy claims and dubious environmental schemes and this, that and the other, employing hundreds of people to do all this sort of fairly pointless work And there's the research facilities which could improve our environmental footprint, could improve our animal welfare, could improve our food safety and food quality and all these sorts of things and improve marketing. All those positive things that agriculture has to bring, no money for them. We'll pay an army of people to go and measure your field again. And my field never moved. It's been the same for donkey's years. What has it meant to you that Foot and Mouth was announced on Friday? 
Mercifully, I mean, there is this total feeling of dread. I mean, it's not long since 2001, mm-hmm. and I, as a farmer's son, have been brought up that foot and mouth is about the worst phrase that you ever hear. Absolute nightmare. Yeah, that phrase has the capacity to reduce grown men to tears straight away yeah. because they know what a disaster it is. And there is nothing... I can still smell the and funeral me. piles. I can too. Yeah, you mention it, and I can smell it, I can see it, yeah. it's, and I wasn't even slaughtered out. Yeah. Yeah, for those whose, whose cattle, they lost their cattle six years ago, the mental strain on top of everything else is just awful. And then it creates divisions within society so that you have the farm who has foot and mouth, so his neighbours are a combination of sympathy, dread, blame. All these emotions come firing up. And but there is one significant difference this time. I remember last time nobody believed that people had foot and mouth, did they? Really? I think some They were slaughtering cattle all over the place. Whereas when I read in the press yesterday, the chap who realised he'd got foot and mouth, he went out to see his stock in the morning. They were fine. At lunchtime, he thought they were poorly. By tea time, they were dribbling at the mouth and limping. The whole lot of them were. Mm. And it was just like he knew exactly what had happened. Whereas last time, I don't reckon anyone round here really had foot and mouth. I don't think. And also... One of the reasons for this is that in this instance, it's foot and mouth in cattle. Cattle display classic signs, which are blisters in the mouth, hence the drooling, and blisters in the feet, hence the lameness. When you get foot and mouth in sheep, they don't display the symptoms necessarily as obviously, and it can be very easily confused with other diseases of sheep, such as ORF, which is another blister-type skin complaint, And also, the sheep, particularly when they're grazing on roots, tend to get ulcers and blisters sometimes in their mouth. And that was why there was so much confusion in 2001, that they they got chaos, they got movements all over the country. They hadn't done anything for a week or ten days, so they got a week or ten days movements up and down the country, left and right, all over the place, so that they got potential for outbreaks to break out all over the place. And they were scared to death because they knew, and by they I mean DEFRA, that they had mucked it up, that they had got chaos. And so that under those circumstances, there were obviously some people who could see the financial benefits of having their flock of sheep slaughtered. There were those who dreaded the very thought, but the net result was chaos. And DEFRA have never come clean. They've never actually declared who had foot and mouth or not. And I heard a funny story the other day. From Thank them. God for that. I was about to slip but me through. One, one which was really quite funny, which demonstrated why there is this cynicism of DEFRA, so that the vets came and blood tested the stock, put all the samples in their little package and all the rest of it, and they left the farm. And the following day, the farmer found the blood samples where the chap had put them on a bale of straw or something. He'd forgotten to take them. So he thought, hmm, I'll phone them up tomorrow and find out what the answer was to the blood test. So he phoned them up and they said, ah, yes, absolutely fine, all clear, no trouble at all. And he said, well, that's funny. He said, because I've got the blood samples right here in my kitchen. Oh, we must have made a mistake. Yeah, these are the same people (coughs) who told us that Purbright is biosecure. That wasn't funny. Well, it was, because it just demonstrated (laughs) the the complete lack. No, that's not funny, Phil. That's not funny, ha. That's, ah... Well, maybe, but I just thought it was entertaining actually managing to catch them. Jane yeah. Knight on Facebook says, How can testing for foot and mouth and vaccine production on the same site be right? Seems like madness to me. 
I think she's probably right on the basis that if, if they can't keep it secure, then there's every potential for it to go wrong. The other thing that I have huge issues with is this idea of moving infected carcasses across the country. That strikes me as absolutely ludicrous, and whoever thought of it really wants their head looking at These carcasses from Purbright are being carted 80 miles to, to Somerset. Somerset which is a major livestock producing area. You know, we're talking the southwest is livestock big style. Yeah. And right. they're moving infected carcasses in lorries to there. To my mind, they must want their heads looking at. What do you think of the news that today, the 9th of August, we're recording this, that they've actually lifted the ban on taking animals to slaughter? There's two sides to it. It relieves an enormous pressure. I was talking to a friend of mine who's sending cattle to the abattoir on a weekly basis, so that's stopped. So he's got fat cattle that he's feeding. At the moment, our cereal prices are very high, so he's buying cereals in for nearly twice what he was paying for them 12 months ago to feed cattle that should have gone to the slaughterhouse. Right. So that, that is a huge pressure on a business. So it will relieve that. In terms of the disease... I must say that I suppose there is a risk, but we're only talking about sending cattle from farm to slaughterhouse. It's not farm to farm. There isn't free movement and there'll be no use of markets, I don't think. I think it'll go straight from farm to slaughterhouse and they'll also allow casualty animals to be picked up. So that with caution and given that in theory they've got a lot more information than I have, I think they've done it because they think they know where they're at. I'm surprised they've done it. Mm. The incubation period for foot and mouth is between five and eight days, I think, from catching it to displaying symptoms. Well, they haven't discovered it for that length of time yet. And normally you think of a month as being the safe period without a new outbreak so you can carry on. Now, I know they've restricted these outbreaks and farms to within their exclusion zone down at Purbright, but there's a risk involved. The moment that they get a case outside those exclusion zones you can expect to see absolute chaos. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they won't. Rich, as a non-farmer, what's your view? What's your take on it all? Well, I've just uh, never ceased to be amazed by the problems that farming seems to be suffering. You know, it's, it's relentless, isn't it? It's really disappointing because what, what it, it, the, the whole picture really disappoints me because we, we have a government that says they want to build three million more houses by 2020. Some of those houses, they want to build on a floodplain, on various floodplains. They still want to pursue those ideas. You know, we know that the effects that that has on people that live there. Farmers this year have suffered big time from losing massive swathes of barley and sweet corn and whatnot on, on floodplains. But they are very, very nutritious. You know, they're ideal for growing uh, cereals and, and other I crops. I think in fairness, they? those farmers would recognise that on an average basis, because it's very fertile soil, they get correspondingly good crops. It's yeah. devastating when you lose the whole shooting match, but yeah, it is right. a risk you take planting crops on a floodplain. So not only do we have a situation where farmers aren't really getting the support that they need from central government they're also going to lose opportunities crop growing opportunities because of climate change and because of development and whatnot and how can we support a population in this country with food if we're going to build on all the productive land surely the whole thing about sustainability is looking into the future and ensuring that we can provide for the next generations with British, or Scottish, Welsh, what have you, grown yeah. products. Well done, know. Richard. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to <laughs> I often say English. I mean, I mean uh, you know, I'm British, you know, definitely. 
Um, but it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And foot and mouth, you know, I remember the problems six years ago. You know, the countryside shut down, didn't it? Well, you were and fishing, were there were lots and you? lots of problems. Um, yeah, well, I, I was. I was fishing. Strangely enough, I just caught a, a salmon kelp on a <laughs> pipe bait that had picked up a pipe bait. And this old farmer came down and he said, oh, boys, you, you've got to go. He said, I'm, you know, I'm just uh, shutting all these footpaths down. And he said, OK, you know, and uh, so we, we potted off. That was it. That was it for months and months and months. We couldn't, you know, couldn't go out. I mean, you know, we can't go fishing. Well, that's not the end. It's disappointing. That's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, and those poor guys, I mean, you could see, like, you could see that they, some of them had lumps in their throats, you know. Mm. And it's, um, it should never get to that situation. And if we provide for ourselves, we don't, why do we need to export and import meat? Why do we need to do that? Yeah. It's just madness. Surely we can learn by the error of our ways now. We know that importing dodgy meat has caused massive problems and will continue to do so. But it must get better because it must be obvious soon. There is such an irony of having a food and farming year where all school children are encouraged to come out onto the farm. And if it really is true that a government agency has caused foot and mouth, I'm sorry, but there's really, really niggling doubts in my mind. Mm. And, you know, the community takes so long to recover. You know, we were at a party on Saturday night, and the guy there, you know, we've got a a chap in the area who, who did have foot and mouth and made a lot of money out of it. And it's still in the back of your mind every time you see that, those mm. people that actually was that right did he really have it yeah I think uh, it's was also, it good that he made a fortune out of it it's yeah. also and relevant for the community around everyone was dreading having it because yeah. you know so what if you get i mean i don't think they will get compensation this time but i mean it was so much last time if you got compensation and, and yet you still your business was ruined they, they or will get really compen- affected. They will get compensation, but it won't be on the same way that it was last time, mm. which was outrageous in some cases. But don't you think, not just with reference to agriculture, but if you look at our politicians, pretty much the, the majority of them, they're professional politicians. They have, I mean, you've listened to them talking about yeah. foot and mouth on the news. They haven't got a clue. They have not got they a They would not know idea. a cow if it came and licked them. No. They are absolutely <laughs> ignorant of it all. And I'm sure that that is true of lots of things, that they will pontificate about building houses, doing this, that and the other. They have no idea. They are totally reliant on the civil servants because all they know about is being a professional politician. And I was listening to our Prime Minister talking about the testing regime and the, the phrases and how he did it told me that he had not the slightest idea what he was talking about. Not a clue. He had no scientific knowledge of blood testing and disease and the interrelations of of vaccination and all this sort of thing. He was just politicking. There was no knowledge in there at all. And until we get back to having politicians who are, or at least some of them are, champions of the particular branches of industry and commerce and whatever, then our politicians are going to be no help to us because we're governed by the civil servants. And in this case, who are the civil servants looking to get at? civil servants. Is it going to be fair? I don't know. I'm cynical. I bet Mr Pride, unfortunate bloke he is, is more than cynical. I bet in a minute he's going to be tamping mad. Right now he's presumably devastated. But in a minute he is going to be so angry. Let's have the good news 
Let's have the wheat price at Lower Blakemere Farm <laughs> this week. Do we all remember, listener, last year where the wheat price was down to what, Phil? Well, I mean, at, at harvest, it was sort of £60 a tonne for feed wheat x farm. And this week, Mr Goringi? <laughs> <laughs> for the first time, for as long as I can remember, I actually sold some wheat yesterday that I haven't yet combined, and That's the an price was £138 a tonne. Fantastic. Michael, Thanks. clap, please. <laughs> Does that mean it's going to cost me more bottles of Old Speckled Hen for grain for my chickens? Absolutely, <laughs> it is. You are. Uh, I mean, Phil and I have got this great bartering system going. Yeah, I, I, I swap beer for, uh, mm. for grain. I'm the wife. I like champagne. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you know that leaf-cutter ants can build a bridge over a moat? I did. Oh. <laughs> you read it on Facebook? No, I know these things because I've spent my life watching David Attenborough. <laughs> oh dear, you sad individual. <laughs> oh well, useless. Well, you must go to Facebook, dear listener, because we've now got 17 different discussion topics and they're all fabulous except one. <laughs> and that is the cat discussion. Oh, gosh. Which, unfortunately, was started on August the 6th by one Ricardo Fishbourne. Richard Fishbourne. <laughs> or Ricardo, <laughs> alias Ricardo, should I say. And since then, uh, there's been 13 different posts by six different people, and it's restarted that whole cat nightmare and Noah is about to scratch your eyes out. So for the end of this week's podcast, I'd just like to say once again, Richard, balance, community, pussycats. Sure. Before we go, here's a Monty's Pigcast. Monty's Pigcast, a weekly fact on pigs. Pigs are supposed to be able to smell the wind. So if a pig is seen running around with straw in its mouth... Windy weather was thought to be on the way. Thank you, Monty. If you would like to subscribe, go to iTunes. That would be wonderful. Our Facebook group is absolutely corking. And there's a chance to talk about rain gardens on there, so I really like that. It'd be great to hear some stuff from people about rain gardens. But also, it would be great if someone, if someone followed up Hev's comment about cats, because it, at this stage it would be inappropriate <laughs> for me to do it. So please, you know, feel free. But I'm trying to say goodbye. Okay. If you'd like to email Richard about cats, then richard at wigglywigglers.co.uk is the address. <laughs> If you want to talk about foot and mouth, Farmer feels completely into it. In fact, mm. he is sort of a foot and mouth impression. <laughs> what, what, slavering at the mouth and vaguely lame? Yes. <laughs> you can email him on... pwg at lowerblakemere.co.uk But don't expect a reply between 9 in the morning and 10 at night because he's busy on the Combine Harvester. And if you want to email me, it's heather at wigglywigglers.co.uk. So I'm signing out now. Goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me too. Bye, Jam. <laughs> <laughs>